This is Lonesome Roads behind the wheel and behind the microphone here at the Todd Studer Studios on 4th Street in Council Bluffs. And with me, I have a uh, guest in the audience for the podcast. Um, his name is uh, Charles Corb, Corby, Chaz, Chucky, <laughs> Warner. Cheese. <laughs> uh and he is the president, CEO, chief cook, and bottle washer of uh, Cyber Launch, which he created back before there was the internet, actually, right? <laughs> Pretty close before Al Gore invented it. Yeah. <laughs> so, God, I miss him. Um, and uh, what year was that? 97. 1997. Okay. So it would take... Uh, for example, if you wanted to send an image to someone via electronic mail, yeah, and let's just say it was his logo, right? Right. We'd send it like at 10 at night and then get back to our computers around 7, 7.30 a.m., and it was like 80%. <laughs> so things, we don't miss that. Things have changed a little bit. Yes, there. just a little. Yeah, and I imagine there's uh, quite a few more uh web launching facilities now it's you know it's an app on your smartphone practically practically yeah but you still got enough clients to keep you busy very busy yeah yeah um and you're also a stand-up comedian yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you used to do sales for kkar and what was your Record, you had the most uh, sold-out airtime for, like, consistently for, like, a year or something like that? Well, let's see. We were an AM news talk with a one share, which means 1% of the entire listeners of Omaha tuned us in. Yeah. But we made our sales goals 35 months in a row. 35 months in a row. Wow. And if we had come close... The 36th, I just would have bought it. <laughs> but my number one guy left yeah. that month yeah. to go on to other things. Yeah. And uh, there went that. So, <laughs> but that was our knight in shining armor. Yeah. Um, so you're also a screenwriter. Well, we've, uh, that's been a blast. That's a very, uh, Learn as you go type thing. Yeah. And uh, so I wrote a pilot for a television series that took me 10 months to write. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of evenings and weekends and yeah. that kind of thing. And uh, so now I'm on to writing what they call a Bible. And a Bible then is anywhere between five to 15 pages. They, in quotes, say seven's about right. Mm-hmm. And that then details everything, right. your characters, even the set, you wow. know. So wow. the living room goes on the left, and there's a couch, and there's a there's a chair, and then there's a the back of the TV, and then <laughs> and then the kitchen's to the right, and the table seats six, and then you look out the window to the left. Then there's this this walk area, and that's where the guest room is, and so on. So wow. you your Bible then, but it you you have to make it interesting enough for directors and producers and things that are w listening to what you, uh, something called a pitch, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, right. And, and the pitch is 10 minutes. It's eight minutes of me and then two minutes of questions, hopefully. Um, and so we're right in the middle of uh, the Bible. Okay. And then uh, I will literally be block, uh, d- knocking on doors in Los Angeles. Oh, for uh, producers okay. who might be interested, and then they share the pitch with me. Okay. They're the ones who get me in the door. See, so you can't just come in. And, and they, see, uh, they see and hear hundreds of pitches a week. <laughs> so you really have to stand out. And yeah. the whole process has been a blast. It really has. So that's why I hesitated when you said I was a stand-up comedian because I haven't done stand-up for a very long time because I've been writing this thing. Yeah. And I couldn't do justice with either if I just, you know. So we just concentrated on writing. Yeah. Um, well, I, after you've read uh, The Edsel Affair and Disaster in Dearborn, which is another book about the Edsel, and I just think there's so much story in that 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 could be a treatment right there. Yes. Uh, it's it's just fascinating. And you made the analogy about the Beatles and how there was not just one reason. Oh, he's another. He's a Beatles freak too. I got to tell you. <laughs> and I'm five seven. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, there's been there's comparisons with the way the Edsel developed and then blew apart with how the Beatles broke up. You say there's not just one reason right, why so the Beatles broke up. It would be easy to blame Yoko Ono. Right. Okay. And she's one one A. Hmm. But they were already distancing themselves anyway, as early as uh like after Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. So after Sgt. Pepper, which was released June first, nineteen sixty seven, um, they kept recording off and on then that summer. And Magical Mystery Tour then right. was one of those projects. And that didn't go so well, the the television aspect of it, and that's a whole other story. And then the following uh, year, 1968, is when uh, they went to the Maharishi mm-hmm. and uh, um, for a uh, several-week stay. But Ringo left early, and then Paul left a week after him, so it was just John and George— and so that that kind of started, you know, things where they're doing things apart rather than uh, just, you know, the four of them. Right, right. So, and then they wrote um, mostly by themselves when they were in India. And so, you know, this is long before, well, not long before, but before Yoko came onto the scene. Now, Paul, or John was conversing with her via letters. Remember those? writing letters <laughs> though i don't know if they would have had an email at the yeah ishram but uh anyway that the story then uh once we're getting to finally is is there is no one thing that broke up the beatles or probably a handful of things yeah. a lot of people don't understand that about the edsel yeah um true story i ran into my nephew this morning at at uh, FedEx office, he used to be Kinko's. Okay. And he said, what's new? I'm, I'm real excited about doing this uh, this gig with my buddy tonight about the Edsel. And he looks at me, what? I said, the Edsel. He goes, 
I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> so he's like 35. Yeah. A 35-year-old doesn't know anything about the Edsel. Yeah. Oh, big history nut, huh? Okay. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so you turned me on to this and that you own an Edsel. Right. Which I think is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and so I was really interested in the history of it. Yeah. So I, I started out being a music nut. I don't know. I think I probably have 500 Beatle books-ish. <laughs> and... Um, 2000 CDs ish. Wow. CDs no one plays anymore, nor do they buy. <laughs> and uh, then I moved on to just some things that interested me. And we uh, met at a car show one day when it was like 200 degrees out. Yeah. And uh, you then walked me around all these Etzels and telling me the stories about them. And my head was spinning. It was so cool. Yeah. And then I asked you, <laughs> what did it end? And you said, well, that's a, that's a whole nother car show. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because actually the, they started uh, the research and development like right after World War II. Right. Because they felt there was going to be a market for an upscale car mm -hmm. to pe for people to spend money on. And... They had tremendous success with the, the shoebox Fords of 49 through 51. Uh, but after that, um, their market share went way down. And here's GM, and they're just, you know, selling cars like crazy. Right. Well, their their whole philosophy of the platforms was wrong. Um, GM would take one platform and then just apply different grills and taillights and trim and call it a, an Oldsmobile or a Pontiac or a Buick. Buick, yeah. right. And But Ford had three different platforms for the Ford, the Lincoln, and the Mercury, right. but they all looked the same. <laughs> uh, so it's exact opposite way of dealing with the platforms, and that's why they were just tanking in the marketplace. And then the Edsel was supposed to fix that, you know, have have uh, the buyer go upscale to the Edsel or the Mercury. Uh, but they, they ended up having like cars on either end of the spectrum, like uh, the low end of the Mercury and the high end of the Mercury. So they had, they had the, the, the car spread out in so many directions depending on the options and like you know there were 18 models of the Edsel in that first year um and that was unprecedented too um and but the thing the thing that killed well there are several factors that killed the Edsel one of course was the recession of 1958 everybody blames it on that but it was basically McNamara that <laughs> was behind the death of the Edsel because Henry, uh, Henry Ford II had brought in some bean counters. They called them the whiz kids. Right. It was like five of them they, that he hired. And McNamara uh, then, after a few years, became president of Ford. And this is right about the time that they're getting ready to introduce the Edsel. In fact, uh, uh, they had a... a dinner before the launch of the Edsel the night before 
at uh, Foot Cone and Belding, which was their ad agency. And McNamara leaned over to the president of Foot Cone and Belding and said, I've already got a replacement lined up for it. And that became the Comet. First it was the Edsel Comet, and then it was just the Comet. And that's how I was introduced in 1961. But, um, but also, along with the recession, you have the fact that uh, here the bean counter gets involved again. Um, the T-Bird was selling great as a two-seater. Um, it, it outsold Corvette by a substantial margin every year. And, but that wasn't enough for, for McNamara. He wanted to have you know, tremendous sales rather than just kind of sports car sales. So he turns it into a four-seater. So now you've got a car in the Ford lineup that's competing against the Edsel that just gets introduced. And that's a big factor in, in you know, the sales. But also, because of the recession, nobody was buying those bigger cars, more expensive cars. They were buying, you know, that's when, uh, that's when McNamara uh, came up with the Falcon mm-hmm. in 1960. Um, so the, but in comparison with all the rest of the upscale cars, the Edsel did okay. They he, they sold more Edsels than, for example, than I think they did Pontiacs or Olds or uh, DeSoto. I know for sure. Um, so it on its own, it did okay the first year, and then '59 they had good sales then as well. And then the 60, which they had restyled to where there's hardly any unique Edsel parts on it. It's just using, uh, utilizing the 1960 Ford uh, body. Um, and that was just, they only introduced the, the 60 to clear all the 59s out of the dealership. Because if, if, if there was a rumor that uh, they were going to discontinue production in 60, which they actually never made any 60 Edsels in 1960 because they ended production, I think it was November or something, 1959. Um, so the, they hardly sold any 60s at all. But uh, it, it, yeah, it was just sad. Uh, sad the way it... Uh, had to turn out because there was so much work that these guys put into the de- design and um, manufacturing. But Ford lost two hundred and fifty million dollars on that car, <laughs> and that's another thing. Some say that the only reason they introduced the Edsel was knowing that it was going to tank, um, but they wouldn't have to pay as many taxes because they've been raking in the you know after World War II. They had tremendous uh, uh, income from the sales, and uh, they needed to dump all that money somewhere, and so they just threw it at the Edsel. So you had a what they called a medium-priced field, and you had an upper and a lower. The lower was um, Mercury, okay? Yeah. So the higher then of the medium price market were um, Buicks and Oldsmobile. Yeah. Okay. So that's why they were made to compete with that. Right. 
Right. But for some reason, then they they elevated the mercury, like you said. It's also mercury is the high and low. Yeah. And the buyer was confused. You know what? What is this about? Yeah. And so, back to the the names. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. So Edsel, I don't know if your listeners know, but was named after Edsel Ford, who was the son of Henry Ford. Right. Okay. And he ran Ford Motor Company for twenty odd years. Yeah. Okay. Did pretty well, and Lincoln. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and so um, anyway, when the the ad agency I went through, what five thousand names, and yeah, the uh, it was a calamity in itself. Yeah, a uto- utopian turtle yeah. top, and um, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that, that was uh, some poet that uh, came up with all these. They they hired a poet. Yeah, a poet. Up, and she came up with 5,000 names. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. But anyway, so Edsel was supposed to be then a bad name. That was one of the reasons that Fold is, because the name Edsel. Yeah. Well, the names Buick and Oldsmobile don't really get anyone hot and bothered, I yeah. doubt. Yeah. Okay, so I kind of doubt if that was it. No. Right? <laughs> no. But um, they talk in the book about uh, the in the Edsel affair. They talk about um, uh, it was first called the E Project, right? And uh, the E was based on uh, the room where they had all their uh, well, where they had the project going. You know, the drawings and everything being made, Mm -hmm. which was next to the elevator of that (laughs) building. So that's why it was called the E-car to begin with. Maybe they should have called the Edsel the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, there, there was so much mystery involved. That, you know, they would just leak out little bits and pieces of what the new car was going to be like. And then uh, and nobody had seen one until the day of uh, what was, it was called E-Day, Edsel Day, right. uh, September 4th, I think it was, 1957. And that's another thing that they did with the Edsel that had never been done before, is your new cars always came out in January up until then. But they wanted to beat people to the punch before they went out and got a new car for that year. So here's here's something new, and you can buy it now. And so they introduced it on Labor Day. Um, yeah, funny stuff. And then, you know, of course, you had uh, all the uh, the um, trailer trailers that would go across the country and, and just to uh, show them to the dealerships, uh, but they wouldn't uncover the car. They would just take the car with the cover on it, and you couldn't you couldn't see it. But we made them, you know. <laughs> Unlike uh, the story of Tucker, where Tucker was you know, like selling radios to the car in advance and or you could buy some suitcases or something for it in advance before he actually had the car built. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? No, but we were talking about the uh, the recession of 58. Right. But it doesn't just happen overnight. You have a buildup of until it's actually called a recession. Right, right. So... The uh, the higher end then of medium price cars, uh, starting from 1955 through 1958, dropped 60 percent. Wow. And they were saying 
we're going to, first year of Edsel, we're going to sell 100. We hope to sell 200,000. Right. Right? Yeah. They sold 60 their first year. But compared to the market, yeah, the market was down anyway. Yeah. So they're saying it was a failure because they didn't produce, sell at least 100,000 cars. Well, they sold 60,000. That was above yeah. the market share at right. the time. Right. They failed to really care if yeah. that were <laughs> yeah. if that was the case so um and then when you were talking about Nac- McNamara you know he wanted to go smaller right and that's why what uh the Edsel project was basically sabotaged before it was even sold yeah and think of all those dealerships and those <laughs> those dealers who went bankrupt. Oh yeah, because they put everything into it. Mm-hmm. See, and the dealership was uh, similar to like what we have today with Acura and Honda, where it's sold as a separate mark. Right. The the Edsel was sold at Edsel only dealerships in that first year, and so many of them tanked. Uh, you know, and then finally the second year you could sell Mercury's Edsels and Lincolns. Um, but they said that's one of the things that did them in was was doing that on why they didn't just include them in other yeah. Ford slash Lincoln dealerships, right? Rather than doing it separate like that. Um, I don't know. Sounded like a pretty good idea. Yeah. Well, it was a good idea, and really, there were a lot of um. You know, some people call it gadgetry, but there were a lot of technical innovations that you, you know, didn't have up until then. It's the first car with, for example, it's, it sounds really techy now, um, self-adjusting brakes. Oh, self-adjusting. Act, yes, self-adjusting. <laughs> well, they were drum brakes, and they had little star mechanisms inside, and so when you put it in reverse and stepped on the brake, it would automatically adjust the pads so they were farther out towards the drum. A few things like that. It had, um, well, the teletouch transmission. That's, that was, you know, there are a lot of push-button transmissions back in those days, but they were all like vacuum-operated or cable-operated. This was electronic. And so it was the only one that had an actual park button. All the rest of them had park levers. Um, So it was really innovative there. And you know, people said that, you know, that teletouch was, and they only made it for one year, and that, that was problematic. Well, it was only in uh, the Rust Belt, basically, where it was a problem because the the switch or the motor for the teletouch was mounted low towards the transmission, so snow would get in there and clog it up. And, and But I never had, I, I had that car, oh, gosh, must have been 30 years before I had a problem with the teletouch. 30 and years. It was in a parking lot, so I had to get it towed. But the part itself, there was a guy there, a guy that still rebuilds those things. Oh, wow. And, and I, I got it for 80 bucks, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was uh, the climate control on it, uh, heating and air conditioning all on one uh, dial. That was very innovative for its time. Um, yeah, and some people ba- blame the failure of the Edsel on, of course, the front end. And uh, I just think it's just the coolest looking thing. 
I don't see how, you know, maybe maybe it was too distinguishable and people didn't want it for that reason. They wanted something to look like something else, you know. Then why make it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So styling was one of the reasons yeah. they say. Yeah. it. But that year it came out, um, this book says that, you know, beside the four-seater Thunderbird, it was the coolest car that Ford had built yeah. that year. Yeah. So, no, that's that's not. It's If you like cool cars, that's one of the coolest cars, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah. So, the si- styling, no, that's. But um, back to when you had said there were 18 body styles, right? Right, or 18, 18. So, exactly, there were four lines. Yeah. With 18 body styles, but th- three more station wagon lines with five body styles. Yeah. That's 23 yeah. new cars. <laughs> <laughs> so they said that maybe it was a little overambitious what they were trying to do. Yeah. But I don't know. What do you do? So when they started planning and, and really gearing up for this, that's when the market started to crash for that type yeah, right. of price car. Yeah. And it's, the timing it's was a little off. Just a little. This book said that if if that had come out either 10 years before uh-huh. or 10 years after yeah. 1957, yeah. it would have uh, been a huge success. Yeah. It was just, you know, in the beginning then to the end of, of a recession. So, I don't know. Again, what do you do, right? Yeah. Um, and mine, does it have a, you got pictures over there? No. Oh, uh, mine. I can't see them, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I'll hold them up to the microphone. Uh, what shade of green yeah. are you seeing? <laughs> that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the other thing. You could get some really crazy color combinations that first year because there there was no restrictions so like you could have um say a pink and green exterior and a blue interior if you wanted you know he had all kinds of choices and some of them are pretty crazy looking mine is uh it's fairly tasteful actually it's turquoise and ivory with a, tur- a turquoise and white interior and uh, of course the wood paneling on the side that's bermuda wagon it was one of 779 made, and that was the lowest uh, production of any 58 Edsel. Wow. Yeah, so it's the rarest of the 58s. Uh, now, of course, you get to the 1960 models, and you can get like one of 10, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it, it, it was just a whole variety of factors that killed the Edsel, and it's such Another a... Another one was advertising, believe it or not. No, so, oh, yeah, their yeah, advertising was uh, tremendous. I mean, remember the, remember the Edsel show? I think you watched that at my house. But they had, um, at the time then, something called an industry horsepower ban. Okay, and this was real. So the 58 Edsel was one of the most powerful cars on the market, right? Yeah. And the Automobile Manufacturers Association, the AMA, 
put a stop to what they called horsepower advertising wars. Okay? In other words, the Edsel was denied then advertising one of its most powerful selling tools, which was its power. Yeah. Okay? So um, the AMA didn't help anything by not letting them say, hey, you know, because we all thought gas was going to be 15 cents a gallon still, you know, who cares, right? (laughs) So... Yeah, okay. Um, anywhere else you want to go with this? It's just been a, a delight to uh, learn something about no, something you, as historical as that. Is you've the never ridden in the Edsel? I have never ridden it. I've only oh, looked at it. Wow. And then the nine-seat thing. Yeah. They came either six or a nine. Right. That that got me hooked. Yeah. Oh, that is too. Oh, the cool. view from that third seat is is just spectacular. I mean, it, out to the hood ornament is like, uh, you know, well, it is literally twenty feet. Oh you know. wow. <laughs> oh, that's a great car. What car is it exactly? What? So it's the nineteen. You have a nineteen fifty eight station wagon. Yeah. And Bermuda nine passenger. Okay. Yeah. Very cool, man. Yeah. I want to get it on the road one of these days again. So seeing myself as, as, I guess, an historian, just another thing I make no money from whatsoever, (laughs) uh, it's been just a blast learning about this car and all the history of it Yeah. um, without really knowing much about cars or anything like that. I think I've got a, a really cool perspective. Not, uh, you know, pretty much outside in. Well, not pretty much. It's outside in. Yeah. And uh, thank you for turning me on to that, man. Yes, that's, sir. that's awesome. I can't wait to see your car again. Yeah. Me too. I've got a couple people in mind that I might take it to to have them. It just needs a few things to get it running, like a new gas tank and probably have to do the brakes again and got to finish up on a water pump. Um, but other than that... <laughs> It was running when parked, so. <laughs> it's good to have a tank that actually holds the gas. Yeah. You this know. one's got a hole where you can't put more than like five bucks worth in, and that doesn't take you too far these days. And don't light a match to see the hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just you might want to use a flashlight or right, something like right, that. Right, right. Why did I quit comedy to write? I don't know. So it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> There's no height requirement, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> No guy with his candy stick cane comes up to me, puts it up against me, and goes, I'm sorry, you can't come in here. It's 5'8 or over. That's great. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> There's Camp Snoopy down the street. <laughs> I say, for seniors? <laughs> well, Corb, thanks for coming on the show. Um, it's been fun. Cool, man. And um, I'm going to get, I think I'm going to get Pat Stibbs, the box officer, in here next week oh that'd be great to talk about car movies okay he can't be funnier than me you need to let him know that before it starts well you can you can stop by and sit in with us if you want we'll see all right all right sounds good okay buddy okay this has been uh lonesome roads behind the wheel and behind the microphone and uh, you can contact me on email at lonesome roads behind the wheel at gmail.com and roads is spelled r-h-o-d-e-s Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.